The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I have the uh, the three amigos in today from Bloomberg. I have uh, Dan Snyder, who is the uh, your official title is Director of Government Contracts Analysis. Yes, yes, sir. Hey, Paul Murphy, Senior Data Analyst. Paul and I go way back, and Rob Levinson, the Senior Defense Analyst. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. Um, So the reason we're here, primary reason we're here, is the top 20 federal opportunities for 2020. The top 20 for 20. Um, So, Dan, you want to give us a a bit of an overview before we start looking at these? Uh, Yes. Uh, So uh, the the top 20 that we will be discussing uh, primarily throughout the interview today is drawn from uh, our webinar, which we concluded last week. Um, So we examine the top 20 opportunities that are going to be coming up for contractors in fiscal 2020, which is is now a whole two days underway. Um, One thing that we would like uh, the audience to to understand about this list is that these, yes, are the highest valued opportunities being released in the federal government. But we have excluded some of the less competitive opportunities, which are uh, some of the defense weapon systems or uh, a Department of Energy contract to manage a lab. So, of course, those are going to be in the multi-billion dollars. And, and those will very limited gene pool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So those typically go to the Honeywells or on the energy side or a Lockheed or uh, Northrop on the defense side. Um, our list primarily focuses on information technology and professional services. Uh, So to that end, in fiscal 2020, uh, the total list uh, has a combined value uh, of $174 billion uh, throughout defense um, and civilian. Uh, Overall, we're seeing a higher concentration in the IT side of things with about 14 of the 20 opportunities in that IT realm uh, for fiscal 2020, the remaining six focused on professional services. If we look at the agency side of things, again, it's a, it's, it's a relatively lopsided affair. Uh, a lot of the opportunities that we're seeing, uh, 14 are in the civilian um, side of the house, and then the remaining six on the defense side. Um, in terms of p- total potential value, uh, there's more parity. It's about $95 billion for those 14 civilian opportunities that we'll discuss, and then about $80 billion for uh, the remaining six defense. Okay. Now, the, the webinar that you referenced, is that on the website, and is it open to anybody or just BGov uh, clients? It is. It's available uh, on our blog and also uh, available to clients uh, f- uh, last week. So clients got a... a, a uh, before the the scenes look, but we are uh, making it available in front of the paywall as well. Cool. All right. So go to Bloomberg Gov. Bloomberg Gov. Bgov dot com. Yes. Bgov dot com. Okay. I should know that by now because <laughs> <laughs> I 
Well, it's on auto dial for me. So uh, so let's dive here. Um, who wants to take the lead on the number one vehicle tapping out at, what does this say? How many billions of dollars? $50 billion. Uh, Seaport. Next. Uh, I can talk a little bit about Seaport. Uh, so Seaport, you know, I tell people Seaport is the largest, the current Seaport E is the largest contract, you know, in terms of dollar value in the federal government. Uh, it's, you know, one big contract and there's there's been some $60 billion already on it. And so now this is Seaport Next Gen, which is in effect already, although Seaport E is still playing out. So there's sort of this transition period going on, but Seaport E should ex- expire here in about, I think, about a year and a half. And then uh, Seaport Next Gen. And, you know, we included Seaport Next Gen actually because there's going to be another on-ramp um, for uh, Seaport Next Gen when, when more companies get on it. And, and even though the on-ramps and, and some of the work won't occur perhaps until fiscal 2021 – uh, we want to include it because the requirements for to get on next gen is just you have to have done work with the Navy. And we wanted to let people know that you've still got like 15 months here basically to – if you haven't done work with the Navy, you can do work with the Navy now and then boom, you, you've met the threshold. Yeah, and you, you can do that as a sub, not right. necessarily a- absolutely. prime. Absolutely. You don't so. have to be a prime. But but before you had to do like work for the government. Now it, you have to have done something for the Navy. But but again, we've got about fifteen months or so where you can still is, is that going to do pare something. down from nineteen hundred to seventeen hundred or what? Uh, not sure. There's there, there's a lot of companies. I mean, they they want to cast a very wide net. They're 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 not they're not putting a high bar to get over. Uh, of of the the last time, I think what was it? Uh, one thousand eight hundred ninety four companies submitted bids and one thousand eight hundred seventy got awards. So you know the, the the bar the threshold is not very high if you're alive and breathing and have done work for the Navy, you can you probably really had to mess thing. up your proposal not to win. Yes. <laughs> and Mark, it, it's certainly not typical uh, that we would include, one, an opportunity that is an on-ramp, and two, an opportunity in fiscal 2020 that's not having an on-ramp occur until fiscal 2021. But as Rob mentioned, Seaport is really an exception. It rises to the level of importance that uh, a lot of that proposal preparation will take place in fiscal 2020 and should be included in the conversation. It does about $5 billion per year uh, in terms of spending obligations. So uh, it is going to be of extraordinary importance for professional services contractors working with Defense Department. Okay, so this is primarily a services vehicle? Yes, sir. They do have some ancillary IT uh, support as well, but the orders are exclusively for professional services at the Pentagon. So kind of the reverse of soup. you got to have services, but if you need a piece of hardware, you can do it. Yeah. But it's not uh, a hardware vehicle. Um, one, one thing we will be looking at is the composition within the Navy bureaus themselves. Uh, so Rob and I performed a, a, a webinar exclusively on Seaport back in August in which one of the topics we addressed was the Navy's NAV errors decision uh, to uh, have a preference towards OASIS. Um, So their strategy was implemented to use OASIS and then also create their own uh, $1 billion professional services contract that went to about 20 contractors. So we're seeing that play out right now, and it'll be interesting to see how much uh, professional services, specifically at Navair, go to Seaport as well as Oasis and also their new small business professional services Mac known as PMCSS. Okay. Let's move on to uh, STARS 3. Paul, jump in. 
<laughs> well, I uh, was looking at the top 10 uh, small business opportunities, and STARS 3 certainly stands out as you know, probably the largest uh, of the uh, 10 that I studied. Um, yeah, $20 billion ceiling. Things are happening quickly. There was a pre-RP notice in uh, August. Draft solicitations were due September 6th. Uh, I think it's been the most successful uh, program for IT small businesses uh, that are owned by uh, uh, minorities and disadvantaged individuals. It's uh, paid out about $8 billion. It's had 586 incumbents. Um, and it's uh, very widely used uh, across the government. I think uh, 60 agencies have used it. And um, <clears throat> it's very well understood. Um, they are expanding or they're hinting, I should say, that they're expanding the uh, scope of the contract slightly. The uh, NAICS code is probably familiar to people. The, um, the basic one is going to be 541512. But they say in the uh, solicitation documents that um, there are uh, five or six other NAICS codes that will be considered uh, – they're related to 541512. That will be uh, considered – uh, within the scope of work for 8A Star, so there's uh, hints that the uh, work uh, is going to expand, and, and this may uh, allow opportunities for more small businesses to participate. Cool. Anybody else on Stars? Just that we've seen a tremendous <clears throat> amount of, of of interest in it. Certainly, a must-have vehicle for 8A vendors. Um, that's going to be a, a tremendously important. Uh, vehicle by which contractors will need to access their federal customers. So uh, given the pool that Paul just described, we expect STARS 3 to come in at a similar barometer, about uh, just under 1,000 contractors. Uh, by and large, all federal agencies seem very satisfied with how that's operating, so expect it to be status quo moving forward. Let's move on to CIOSP uh, 4, I guess, uh, another vehicle where uh, s- small sp- Play. Yes. Uh, NITAC is uh, getting geared up, or, or at least we at Bloomberg government uh, think that a relative amount of competition and acquisition planning will be required in fiscal 2020. Um, CIO SP3 out of HHS um, has generated about $13 billion or so since it began in fiscal 2012. We attempted to contact NITAC in the program office to determine if any acquisition planning would be taking place. They did not uh, provide any details that they have plans in place. But despite those comments, Bloomberg government uh, feels as though that based off the expiration date, based off the size and complexity of the competition, uh, there's likely to be probably an industry day taking place, some comments for a draft RFP. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think a final RFP could be released by the end of the fiscal year. Again, with, with a vehicle this size, $20 billion, you want to build in uh, some some runway space to, to pad that protest, which is likely inevitable. So yeah. um, it, it could be possible that a f- final RFP comes out by uh, the end of September here. And, you know, all the NITAC contracts are best-in-class contracts now. They've been designated preferred vehicles across government. And this – Kind of fits a pattern. It's 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 one of the market defining contracts, along with 8A Stars and Vets Two and Alliance Two Small Business, where you know we're seeing across government a trend toward fewer IT contracts for small businesses, but increasing spending. Just a little piece on that this past week, and uh, we think part of the reason is because of uh, these best in class contracts that are uh, now becoming so uh, playing such an important role in IT spending uh, in the agencies. 
Okay, cool. We're going to take our first break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'll be back with my buddies from Bloomberg right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with uh, three of my Bloomberg friends. Uh, Paul Murphy and I go back a lot longer than either of us would care to admit. Uh, Dan Snyder and I only go back like three or four years now. And Rob, this is your first time on the show, so welcome. Thank um, you. And, and we'll, we'll dive in with you. Uh, number four on the list is Global Health Next Gen. Yeah, this is a you know USAID effort to uh, you know sort of get a handle on their global supply chain, supplying all sorts of health goods, medicines, pharmaceuticals all around the world. Um, you know, the one thing I might say about USAID, you have to know that you know this administration is not that big a fan of USAID and has tr- tried to uh, cut their budget quite a bit. They haven't been successful because the agency does have some fans, particularly the the majority leader uh, McConnell. Is, is pretty supportive. So we'll see what happens in the next budget. Uh, but that could affect, you know, some budget machinations could affect how, how the funding for this comes as they, they move aid to different countries and things like that. But this is, you know, again, USAID's effort to just sort of distribute all sorts of health commodities around the world. Can I just interject uh, that yeah, uh, USAID spending, procurement spending this past year went up uh, over 8%. State Department as a whole went down 16%, but USAID went up. Son of a gun. You just never know. So uh, commercial cloud enterprise for our friends at Langley. Yeah, this is kind of sexy. You know, uh, was, there was kind of a splash when Amazon won a contract for the CIA back in 2013, $600 million to move into the cloud. You know, Amazon was not known as a big defense provider. And, of course, CIA has huge security requirements. And the fact that Amazon was sort of trusted, that was a big thing. And the CIA has embraced this cloud thing, and now they're they're going in. You know, if they jumped in with one foot in 2013, they're going in with both feet and a couple of arms. Um, they they had an industry day on March 22nd, and the slides there uh, that released on the industry day said potentially tens, multiple tens of billions of dollars value for this cloud uh, contract for the CIA and really for the whole intelligence community. Uh, as as you know, Dan. Mentioned in our break, you know, this has infrastructure as a service, platform as a service, software as a service. It, it's big. Uh, there are going to be multiple vendors on this. It's not. It's a little bit different from at least what they're talking about for DOD with the big Jedi, you know, one one uh, provider to, to support them all kind of a thing. There's going to be more. But they are looking for big commercial cloud providers. In fact, uh, in the, they just released – I just wrote a piece about this – a pre-solicitation announcement, and they said you've got to have $2 billion in cloud revenue a year to even qualify to be considered for this. So you're, they're really limiting the scope of, of who's going to bid, at least on the first phase. They call this phase one, although they said there'll be other phases where more companies will be able to participate. But this is a, a pretty exciting thing for the CIA and the intelligence community to go this big in, into the cloud with these big providers, you know, Amazon, Microsoft, people like Oracle, um, you know, are probably going to be competing for this kind of stuff. Okay, so are, are you telling me that this vehicle would be open to the other members of the IC? Well, I think I think the the, the cloud is going to be uh, open to other members of of the intelligence community. I know, you know, one of the things they want to do is get away from stovepiping things and have analysts. So I think the vision is that they'll all kind of kind of be on the same cloud. I, I think that's the idea. But the CIA is sort of taking the lead for the intelligence community on 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 getting this going. Cool. 
This is one of my favorite opportunities. Uh, I think it's interesting to, to look at the strategies side by side, Pentagon and, and some of the intelligence agencies, which we've got two more on the list, which are similarly situated. This one that we're talking about, C2E, is, of course, at CIA. Two more are in lockstep with each other at uh, defense intelligence agencies. So we could talk about that afterwards. Uh, but as Rob said, I, I think a lot of people forget that Amazon – uh, this was really their starting point. Their their strategy to, to make a, a formidable presence started with this incumbent contract and that $600 million that we have listed here as the incumbent contract. So uh, if the CIA and the intelligence agency could trust them now, it's, it's starting to catch gears. So tremendous amount of interest in this contract overall. Once the basic infrastructure is set and, and in place, I think we'll also see uh, a lot of migration consulting and, and more uh, opportunities available once we transition that legacy work and start putting applications on this uh, this infrastructure work that's that's being set and the railroads that are going in place right now. Okay. I'm, I'm going to skip number six, unmanned vehicles run by GSA, because I don't imagine that's going to have a huge gene pool. Is that accurate? Um, I think it'll get some interest. It's got a relatively high value. Uh, oh, yeah. They're working a with uh, uh, companies such as General Dynamics to do it's it's <clears throat> the R and D around uh, unmanned. So mm-hmm. uh, interesting uh, movement with that one. It's it's got a code name, not an acronym. Astro. Um, so they've been. It, it was uh, formerly Atlas, now Astro. So uh, we'll so see. We're going for the Jetsons dog. Yeah. <laughs> well, and one of the things you have to. It, just like unmanned vehicles, you see this evolution even with the manned aircraft. You know, initially it's the it's it's the OEM, the original equipment manufacturer that gets all the support work and all the services work. But over time, that tends to evolve and that gets more competitive. And I think that's the idea here: is yeah, you're still going to buy the General Atomics, you know, UAV or something. But over time, some of those support services, maintenance stuff like that, can be more competitive than the you know. So it's not just the company that built the aircraft. But now more companies, and I think that's part of this is eventually some of those services. So that gene pool will be a bit larger than just the original equipment manufacturer. Yes, interesting. And the agency customers came to to, to FedSim saying that that this was a requirement. So, okay, yeah. and that's where you start seeing more small businesses uh, come into play on these larger systems is in the maintenance phase. Oh, cool! I like that. Number seven is another another biggie, another popular one. ITES 4H. Yeah. Army's pretty optimistic on this one. That's a government estimate for Q1 on their $10 billion vehicle for uh, 4H, which would which would serve uh, hardware, so laptops and, and other computer devices uh, sought by the Army. Uh, Pure play hardware providers, we had about 17 on the incumbent contract. Uh, one interesting thing about ITES, well, two interesting things. It's It, it was in that 2015 memo, I believe, that said all the hardware has got to go to CIOCS, ITES, and Schedule 70. So it's included within that. Uh, but also they don't charge fees. So GSA has a 0.75 funding fee. Um, CIOCS, I think, is about uh, 0.5 or just under there. Yeah, Army has none. So um, certainly Soup, attractive. Enough. Soup's on that list, and they're down to 0.37, I think. They, They've been uh, on descending uh, every yeah. year. It seems Joanna is coming out with a way to help her agency customers and make she she claims she's not a profit making <laughs> org, so she puts it back in there. So that's cool. 
All right. GSA has another one on the list now, the Civilian Enterprise Office Solutions. Yes, sir. Uh, so Alan Thomas uh, discussed this at an event, uh, I believe, back in the spring. Um, and this would mimic the uh, DIOS contract, which was just awarded and is a suite of Microsoft prod- products uh, awarded uh, just last August. Uh, so that came in at about $7.8 billion, totally focused on the Pentagon and providing those Microsoft software through the the application, uh, and this would this would be a similar type instrument used by civilian agencies to acquire the same software uh, available for things like messaging, word processing, spreadsheets, and, and so on and so forth that are used on, on a day to day basis. It'll be interesting to see who fills in for Alan now that he's leaving GSA. He just announced that. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I actually was listening to Tom Temin talk about it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with uh, with my friends from BGov, Dan Snyder, Paul Murphy, and Rob Levinson. Um, let's talk a little. We're go- we're going to jump around. We're not going to cover all 20 of these. Um, find them at BGov dot uh, com. Uh, it's it's really good stuff for your planning. Uh, Paul, first source. Well, it's another one of these elite uh, IT contracts for uh, small business. I think you can put it uh, in a class with, you know, 8A Stars, CIOSP3 Small Business, uh, VETS2. Uh, this is a little bit uh, less of a ceiling, about $3 billion, uh, but it had 41 contracts on it. It's paid out $2.9 billion, uh, 2. 9 billion uh, uh, so far. It's perhaps the most mysterious of the uh, opportunities on the uh, list right now because uh, you know they is- they issued this statement that we're going ahead with First Source three back in July and we've seen nothing yet <laughs> and we've been looking every day and uh, we're still awaiting you know details about you know the uh, uh, requirements scope of work but it's looking like it's going to be about a seven year contract uh, we think it's going to be uh, awarded uh, starting next year the uh, <clears throat> end dates of the different socioeconomic categories are staggered like Hub Zone and eight A. And SDVOB, they expire next year. So hopefully there's going to be a, a contract in place uh, for these uh, vendors. Uh, but then uh, the women-owned small business, the economically disadvantaged, and um, a women-owned small business and the small businesses expire in 2021. So we may see uh, staggered releases uh, of opportunities for these categories. But uh, we think there will be something in place uh, starting next year, go for seven years. Uh, and, you know, as, uh, as it says, it's going to be for commercial uh, solutions and, and bar services. So this, okay. is, this is the fish that escaped the shark's mouth here. They, did, they were waiting to determine if they would go ahead with it. Of course, Sarai Career at DHS decided to do away with the larger IT services for Eagle uh, in favor of best-in-class contracts. But but First Source 3 has survived and, and will be competed this upcoming year. Very cool. So let's move on to the Infrastructure Development and Sustainment IDS 2. Rob, is that your baby? Well, it's it's interesting. It's another one from the intelligence community where uh, I spent some time in my Air Force career. Uh, there's really two that we need to talk about. There's IDS2 and ADS2, which are, are running, you know, uh, sort of in parallel and operating together. These are two big contracts for DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, combined value of, you know, over $5 billion. Uh, it's, it, you know, some of it's a, it's it's a little hard to understand. They said, you know, IDS-2 and ADS-2 is intended to streamline the procurement process for delivering infrastructure. 
uh, and related services. So, it, it, you know, we're not quite sure how this is all going to work. Um, but again, this is just, you know, in parallel with, you know, we've talked a lot about that. We talked about the CIA's cloud contract and, you know, now DIA, we've talked about JEDI, which is the Pentagon. You know, the defense world is really moving into this, uh, you know, software as a service, the cloud infrastructure kind of stuff. It's, we're seeing this a, a across the intelligence community and the defense community. I think that's that's sort of the larger trend here that's kind of interesting. Yeah, DIA really puts its eggs in one basket. So they've got uh, a separate uh, vehicle for professional services valued at a uh, uh, multi-billion dollar multiple award contract. And then as it stands right now, their other large multiple award contract was known as eSight, which went to 25 large and 25 small businesses valued at about uh, $5 billion. So as Rob mentioned, quote unquote, this will streamline uh, the services currently funded through eSight. So uh, this seems as though it's it's going to uh, replace a lot of those obligations that had previously gone through eSight. Uh, and as, as you mentioned, the, the infrastructure uh, development and sustainment will run alongside the application. Um, so combined IDS2 and ADS2 uh, will, will make up about $5 billion in ceiling value. Okay. Um, we're going to discuss one other before we switch gears here for the final segment, and that would be the PTO uh, roller coaster uh, boss. So, who wants to lead on on uh, on this? Sure. Uh, so, this is an interesting one for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, it's not often that the Patent and Trademark Office typically has a, a multiple award contract of this magnitude. Um, the other interesting fact is that it's it's really been around and acquisition planning has been taking place for the better part of the last three years or so. Um, they had originally come out with a plan to compete the contract as uh, SDI-NG2, uh, and that had generated a lot of interested, interest based off what that would deliver. So it was uh, it, it meant to deliver agile services for continuous delivery uh, at the, the the patent and trademark office to expedite some of the uh, the the processing that is required at uh, PTO, uh, they wanted to make things more efficient. Um, now uh, that has developed. Now they've they've rebranded it as this new vehicle, business oriented software solutions, and they're using a very uh, unique procurement method associated with evaluating the contracts known as alternative competition method, which overall limits the eligible bidders. So you'd have to be selected by PTO to then proceed with a bid. So it's a down-select procedure that PTO is using, uh, and only those eligible will then be able to continue. Okay. Um an interesting approach. It'll be fun to watch from the outside. Um, before we end this segment, you have three uh, open opportunities currently available for bid uh, that I'd like to touch on, uh, starting with Oasis. Yes. So the large business portion of that is coming up for, for bid for, for pools one, three, and four uh, at the beginning of this month, October 9th. Um, so they've concluded two other on-ramps, uh, one specifically for 8A companies, 
uh, another uh, for small businesses or restricted. And then this is the the last leg of that stool, which would be for unrestricted. Um, the big question in that is when those contracts will get awarded. Uh, I've seen, I've, I've heard some rumors that they're a little bit bearish on that. Um, the other thing is they're increasing that number very significantly. If you remember when the vehicle was originally awarded back in 2015 or so, they did 40 slots per pool. So there's six or six pools, 40 slots per. They're increasing that to about 140 per. So tremendous Whoa. amount of volume flowing through that vehicle. It's going to be a lot more competitive in the future once these awards are finalized. Okay. Um, Alliant too small. Yes. Um, so that has concluded um, some protest controversy at the Federal Court of Claims. Um, and they are allowing bidders who submitted the first time around to now submit revised bids. So that's not open to anyone who is interested in bidding. You had to have submitted a bid previously to be eligible to submit a revised bid now. But that's uh, just underway now. We don't have a proposal due date. And of course, uh, A2, uh, the large business, its, it's, it's, it's uh, counterpart there is already – Set. Receiving active yeah. orders, so I, I, I would I would think that again they'll they'll move pretty quickly on that, both out of GSA, so uh, a lot to evaluate in terms of those contracting officers looking at, ve- uh, at proposals for those two vehicles. Okay, and the last one I want to touch on before we uh, close the segment is the software portion of ITES. Yeah, so we talked about the 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 hardware portion. Uh, this is the software portion. So that was released in August. So uh, that $13 billion vehicle uh, will, will deliver software for the Pentagon uh, through the ITES vehicle managed by Army. Cool. All right, we're going to take a break. You're listening to Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Um, I will be back with Paul, Dan, and Rob right after this. Welcome back to Tower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. As I have said earlier, I'm here with three of the BGov uh, team, Paul Murphy, Senior Data Analyst, Rob Levinson, Senior Defense Analyst, and Dan Snyder, who is Director of Government Contracts Analysis. So migrating away from the uh, top 20, and again, go to BGov.com and and get what you can about this. This is a int- very interesting uh, report but I, w- I want to talk about Q4 spending. There's, you know, been some news. Uh, gee, what a surprise about uh, a spike in Q4 spending, uh, particularly around uh, the GWAX, but certainly not exclusively. So, um, somebody lead me here, Paul. Go. Well, I looked at it more from the overall perspective uh, as far as civilian agencies go. As you know, uh, DoD reports date on a 90-day. Uh, delay. So uh, as of the start of this week, we uh, do have complete uh, spending data for civilian agencies. And it was dragging um, uh, throughout the year. Of course, we had the shutdown and, and we had you know other uh, uh, delays in uh, various types of civilian agency spending. Um, <clears throat> but the year finished up pr- uh, pretty strong for civilian agencies. Uh, they finished about $185 billion, which was less than 1% change from last year, from fiscal 18, so fiscal 19, about 185 billion, and uh, we had our forecast model had predicted uh, civilian agency spending would be 
uh, between 180 and 195 billion. So we we're pleased that our forecast uh, worked out well. The big winner, surprisingly, was HUD, uh, Ben Carson's agency, and uh, they were up over uh, 45 percent. The big loser was the State Department. There's been a lot of uh, administrative uh, turmoil there, and I think a lot of the infrastructure spending at state is getting uh, lost in a lot of the um, uh, discontinuity with the um, uh, administration of some of these big programs. But uh, as we spoke about earlier, you know, surprisingly, you know, agencies, some agencies did very well. HHS did very well. Uh, USAID was up over eight percent. So um, I think a lot of that happened in the Q4. I think it's it's pretty clear that you know Q4 was important to their spending. So, Mark, you said you're a history buff, so we'll look at things historically here. Um, in the last three years since 2016, we were about $150 billion that occurred in, in, in the fourth quarter. In 2017, we were up to about 175 In 2018, we were at $190 billion occurring in the fourth quarter. So if we take those numbers, I think we're on pace once we get the final numbers. Paul alluded to the civilian statistics and once defense is finalized by about December, I think it's realistic that we will exceed $200 billion in uh, overall fourth quarter spending. And, uh, and about half of that will probably have had taken place in September alone through a lot of those vehicles that you mentioned, the GWAC, such as Alliant Soup. Well, yeah, I mean, the, the best in class is probably the, the biggest winner here, right? So we have 16 best in class? Yep. And, and that's just... <clears throat> The, the, they can get it out the door quickly. So they issue the RFQ. They can they can respond to those. They play to contractors' advantage tremendously so in the fourth quarter. Yeah, and I just did a short analysis last week uh, to take this back down to uh, small, small businesses. Um, I looked at the IT spending obligations for small uh, vendors, and they were up 38% over the last 10 years through uh, fiscal 2018. Uh, but the number of contracts has uh, decreased by 21%. So it's very clear the long-term trend is more spending, fewer contracts. Yeah, and we've we've seen that a lot, particularly you know with the uh, the winners on the uh, the GWACs and multiple awards in the small category. You know, you you can if you have a dollar cap on your small business size, you can graduate a little faster than you might think. I've also seen some numbers. I, I, I was starting to play around with them this week, and uh, I'll probably uh, have something more formal to publish soon. But um, it's also pretty clear that the uh, number of new contracts is uh, plateauing or even declining, um, and that the spending uh, increases, the month-to-month and quarter-to-quarter spending increases are actually uh, more noticeable on the uh, task order contracts. Yeah. All right, so let's let's talk about the uh, the elephant that returns to the room every October one, CR. Right. Um. So, so so we've got a continuing resolution. You know, it was earlier this year there was some optimism because we had a budget deal. You know, to go through the last two years of the Budget Control Act. You know, caps where the Republicans and Democrats had, and the president had. You know, both House of Congress and the president had all agreed to the caps for fiscal twenty 2020 twenty and twenty twenty one at the top line of defense and non-defense spending. So we thought that, you know, the appropriations might go fairly smoothly and 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 we'd get, you know, a budget by the beginning of the fiscal year. And then, of course, that didn't happen. We're now on a CR through to, uh, November 21st. Um, the, the big holdup here, of course, is the uh, border wall funding and, you know, the president's desire to use 
some defense spending or get the money in DHS and particularly the Democrats in the House are resistant to that idea. Uh, we may get another shutdown here. Now, you know, last year, the shutdown, it was only about 25 percent of the government because they had passed the defense bill, uh, defense approach and a few other agencies, some of the big ones. So a lot of the government wasn't shut down. It was just those that hadn't had appropriations bill. But now we have no appropriations bills. Um, so we do, you know, wind up with the potential if they have a, a huge fight over border wall funding again in November, you know, right before Thanksgiving, we could get uh, another shutdown here. Um, and probably, you know, the latest news with the impeachment process probably just makes the animosity that much worse between the, the White House and the House. And so, you know, it makes everything more difficult, I think, yeah. for Congress to work its will and get these things done. The appropriators want to get them done. Um, you know, I think a lot of the bills, with the exception of the the, the wall stuff, they, they've settled on most of the other issues on most of the other appropriations bills. Uh, but the wall thing is going to be the fly in the ointment there. Yeah, I mean, you, you were probably still in the Air Force when Murphy and I were talking about the CRs back in the mid-90s. And, Dan, you were probably still in elementary school. Uh, <laughs> he's the young guy in the room. So, I mean, you know, it, historically, I mean, we've had, what, in in that 25-year run, have we had we've, – we've had – one one budget pass on time. Uh, it's it's pretty rare in in the last uh, twenty years or so. And like I say, last year we did get the, the defense budget was on time, um, and some of the other agencies because uh, you know I think uh, particularly Senator Shelby packaged it together with defense and others and got those through, knowing that there'd be fights, particularly on the DHS bill. Right. And he, but he was able to say, let's get defense through, and the Democrats got some of the things like HHS and stuff through. And that worked out well, but they weren't – and they, I think they were trying to do something similar this year and it just didn't work out. And now, like I say, you still got the wall issue and then you've got this tension of of over the impeachment, which I think just sort of poisons the well and makes it just much, that much harder to do anything on the Hill when you have this contentious environment. Well, we've had a contentious environment there for the last – 25 years anyway. Yeah, but uh, but whatever it is, it's, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's it, the dial has turned up even worse, I think, Yeah. now. And, and again, it just makes it so much harder to uh, to get the, the regular other business of Congress to get done. Indeed. Of course, one of the things we'll be watching is is, is everyone is interested in those new start dates. So, so they get l- left out uh, when, under the continuing resolution. So stuff like the Space Force with the newly established is going to be put on hold. So uh, uh, we'll be monitoring these new initiatives to see how they develop, uh, if the delays are significant or, or, or when things are ready to take off from the runway. Yeah, I mean the good thing is, is as you said, this is common practice and everybody knows. And so they, they put off actually planning to award in the fourth quarter because they expect that you can't do a new start. You'll have a CR. If it goes much beyond the first quarter, then you really start to to dig into causing problems because, like I say, first quarter kind of anticipated no new starts. But beyond that, it gets it gets uglier. Yes. Cool. Final thoughts? Uh, tremendous amount of opportunity available in uh, fiscal 2020. Um, a lot of uh, large multiple award contracts uh, that are coming up from bid. These things are cyclical, and, and a lot of the larger ones we, we discussed at the $20 billion uh, tip are, are available for bid this year. I think it's a very positive uh, uh, environment for small businesses. Uh, we've got this uh, Runway Extension Act coming uh, uh, very soon. I think uh, uh, SBA should be issuing their uh, rules 
sometime in the next uh, 30 days. And uh, this holds promise particularly to the larger and, and, and mid-tier companies uh, for uh, expanding opportunities um, in the set-aside realm. Cool. Yeah, and I'd echo what Dan said about opportunity. It's more there, there is concern with the politics being so contentious and how that can play into st- gumming up the works, and, and, that, and this is going to be a, a tough year. We've got an election next November, and that's just going to make it that much worse. Cool. Gentlemen, thank you very much for coming in. Uh, Paul Murphy, Rob Levinson, and Dan Snyder of Bloomberg Government. This is not my day job. I am still consulting with companies that uh, need marketing help to the government, particularly on the social selling LinkedIn front. If that is of interest, drop me a line at marketfederaldirect.net. And thank you very much for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.